0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the lost. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the King's record
1: book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Oh. Welcome into another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Uh, this is Richard Ivanowski. You're hearing me today introducing the podcast because Brendan is out sick. Uh, here's wishing him a quick recovery. But thankfully, I've got a guest on with me today who is going to really help me uh, break down the Kings players by position. Uh, This is Nathaniel Miller. Uh, How are you doing today, Nate? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, so Nate, you've been working on this massive blog post and spreadsheet that basically it seems that you are trying to rank every player at every position that is both currently in the NBA, and you've thrown in some euros in there, you've even thrown in a couple of college players. Trying to find, uh, I'll, I'll let you put it in your own words, but you're trying to find the best option at each position. Uh, really, is in the world, would that be too crazy to say?
0: Yeah, no, that, that's that's fair. Um, you know, I don't actually mention this in the in the blog post, but this was an idea I was throwing around last year. And I did a version of it last year, which I felt a little bit more uncomfortable uh, in the moment, at least as as it relates to, like, college players. But um, I think the whole real framing of it is as I was thinking about a bunch of different questions, and these are questions I leave my blog post about it. um, You know, who are the best players in the NBA by position? You know, frankly, there's a lot of discussion uh, about, you know, five to ten years from now, are we going to see an expansion to two more teams and two more cities? Does the NBA in the world have the talent for that um how does positional scarcity explain why some players are more in demand uh you know what shines uh brightly as an answer to that question in some ways is the contract harrison Barnes signed. um and then this summer we've seen a kind of an interesting uh, talent boom actually for the euro league and uh, the Kings fans saw Costa Kufos uh, go go to a Euroleague team. So, you know, what kind of quality fringe NBA players um, could stay if if you know the the pay structure sort of was changed. And so, you know, the general prompt is basically, you know, what would the 2019 20 season look like if it employed the best players, pulling the best remaining free agents, college players, and international professionals, um, in addition
1: to the guys that already have contracts. Yeah, it's a very, very informative and very instructive piece of work that you're doing here. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I think that you're planning on releasing it at some point to the public, uh, not quite ready yet. And maybe maybe this conversation will uh, help shine a little bit of light on anything, any final touches you're working on there. But uh, let's talk about some general aspects of this data uh, before we jump into it, uh, and especially putting it in the lens of Kings players, I know that on Twitter especially it's easy for, you know, hot takes to be thrown out there, say, hey, De'Aaron Fox is a top five point guard. Uh, even that is probably a little bit too spicy for for myself and Brendan to throw out there, but it happens. Uh, people people do make great claims like that, um, but what were you expecting Uh, from the Kings players when when you sat down to make this piece did you have anyone in mind that you figured uh hey this guy's I know you know before I even start to write down all the names of power forwards I bet you Bagley's got to be in the top 10 or or something like that I mean
0: even aside from the Kings uh insights there was just little things I think that were really impressive just yeah, you, you hear all of these so and so is a great player or so and so is a bad player. Um, and even aging players, you sort of can get a little down on. But when you really write out all of these players and you, and you look at their numbers, I think you gain an, an extra appreciation for what they've done. Players like Mike Connolly, um, players like Paul Millsap, um, you know, clearly Al Horford has really gotten this amazing um extra appreciation for what he's done. So you know that was generally you know one of the things I was most surprised by when you dig into traditional box scores and the advanced numbers. So that was one thing that that stood out. And then as far as the Kings go, uh yeah, you know I was pretty much expecting that at minimum DeAaron Fox and Marvin Bagley would be uh top 20 players um in you know Harrison Barnes, I just really didn't know, you know, and Buddy, I wasn't sure either. And I think, um, you know, I'll just cut to the chase of it and really give the rundown of the some of the Kings players. You know, I think they actually have a top 10 starting PG, top 10 shooting guard, top 20 small forward, a top 10 power forward, and a top 20 center. And then behind them, I think, um, Bogey actually provides top 30 shooting guard value. Trevor Ariza, this might shock everybody, but the, the small forward position in the NBA is so thin that Trevor Ariza would be a top 30 starting small forward. And then I think Nemanja, frankly, is also a top 30 power forward. So you have that all up. They have eight starters, and in addition to that, Corey Joseph is frankly my favorite um, backup point guard. Um, I don't know if any of that sounds kind of weird to you. Is there anything that stands out when even I just throw those kind of like numbers out?
1: So it all kind of stands out to me. It's all something that I am interested in discussing and kind of breaking down. and And you gave the overview there, but let's dig into that uh, one player at a time, especially for the as you mentioned, like the sort of the top eight guys in this rotation. Uh, I was thinking we'd go kind of by position uh, we did this pretty recently. we went through uh, the rotations we foresee with the kings we went through it by position let's do that here as well um, so starting with point guard and, and maybe let's give a little bit of context here by going through just the the best point guards in the world uh and we can you know we can refer to this as nBA because most of the best players in the M- in the world are in the nBA obviously but Um, so I'll mention here, you've got Steph Curry, number one, Damian Lillard, number two, Kyrie, number three. That's that I grok with that. That makes perfect sense to me. I've seen takes like that out there from tons of people. I think it's kind of hard to argue right now that anyone else is in that group. But the first diversion from, I think, the norm, you could say, is you've got Mike Conley as the fourth best point guard uh, in the league right now. Was that surprising to you
0: at all? That definitely surprised me. You know, as I looked at the numbers and I'm scanning them again, there's not a single thing that he does poorly, at least, again, among traditional box scores, advanced numbers, and then the offensive and defensive ratings. Um, and he's, he's almost right up there uh, in the top tier, even on assist percentage. So even if he's not above average, he's clearly an average player. Um, you know, the, his assist to turnover ratio is about, um, you know, 3.3 and that's clearly one of the best in the league. Um, also importantly, you know, he shoots six threes a game and he makes them at about a 36% clip. So I think, you know, you know that he, he was one of the first really big moves of the off season and everyone was very excited about what Utah was doing and then everything else happened and a little bit of the shine came off of Utah. But I think he's still clearly, you know, a really good player. I don't know if this is the year, you know, he finally makes an all-star game. Um, but, you know, he has a chance. You know, I think that probably this season, if they're one of the top three teams in the conference, there's a good chance him or Donovan you know, Mitchell will make the team. So that'll just be really interesting to watch what they do. And it'll be, frankly, really tough for the Kings to match up against.
1: Yeah. And I, uh, one thing in this list, I mean, you've done so much here, you've compiled so many numbers, but one thing that's not here is um, tears. And I, I'm not saying that to uh, tell you, you gotta do more work, but just to, to mention that there's going to be tears like this. And I think that Irving to Conley drop off might be significant simply because, you know, guys like Curry, Lillard and Irving, they can be, you know, truly superstars where, Conley, as you mentioned, doesn't have any weaknesses, but he he probably doesn't have the upside of uh, he's not better than anyone else in the world at one thing, I guess you could say. Uh, but, yeah, I'll, I'll keep running down this list here. And again, and and with Conley, who's 31 years old, also probably worth mentioning that uh, this is as of today. These listings are are current. So we're not, you know, Fox, you can make an argument for being. One of the four or five most valuable point guards in the league based on his age, based on his trajectory, but this is as of today, correct? Yeah, yeah. that's It's good to frame it that my
0: kind of my goal was you start a league, all 30 teams pick players at 17 positions, and you're trying to win this year. As a part of the rankings, I do try to kind of build in that I'm not going to... F- For sure know you know what a young player is going to do and i also kind of build in that there's going to be a little bit of a drop off for players that are in their 30s um and there you know as i kind of would move things around really look at things and try to dive in in some ways there would there could be there there would end up being tears i mean i think as you go down the list and we get down to number six seven and eight and i'll let you get to those um those are three guys that are not good shooters from the three-point line. But they can do a lot of other things. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, I think, with some of the other categories. But there does sort of feel like unofficial tiers. And I wouldn't quibble with someone that was arguing, you know, players within certain ranges, for sure.
1: So you've got Kemba next at fifth. And uh, you could also, you know, make a similar argument that he doesn't have any serious weaknesses except for... You know, perhaps size being an issue with him and coming on the defensive end, you know, that does create some problems. So and then, like you mentioned, getting into guys that just don't have a consistent shot. Westbrook at six, Ben Simmons at seven, Drew Holiday at eight. And let's stop there for a second and mention that, uh, you know, there's going to be some interpretation with position. So did you struggle at all with putting Ben Simmons as a point guard?
0: Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I'd say that a lot of times I, there's, there's going to be guys all around that are maybe adjusted. People go, wait, that player's not there. Jamal Murray, I don't have as a point guard. Um, Brogdon will be the point guard in Indiana, but he has one of the lowest assist percentages, um, of any of the top 60 point guards. Um, So yeah, I'd I'd say that was definitely a challenge. You know, sometimes you'd look around and you're like, Oh yeah, I forgot that so and so was this tall. And maybe this is his actual position. Um, you know, Harden, you know, I don't have as a point guard and it seems like it would be hard to argue he is if he's going to be playing next to Westbrook, but maybe there's actually a real world application that in how the season goes on, that how the offense is run, Harden is frankly the point guard in Westbrook plays as a kind of wing. Um, I think that's kind of really hard to get too obsessed over or too freaked out about. But I think that, you know, when, when Philly, for example, is going to run out their really big lineup, the ball's primarily probably going to be in Ben's hands. So, you
1: yeah. yeah. It's as good a place as any to, to put him, you, you know, I, I mean, there's certain guys like him, that kind of go in like a unicorn position or they just defy uh, the traditional bounds of what is a point guard, what is a power forward. You know, he's going to play five a lot on defense, but uh, you know, let's get to the, let's cut to the quick here. Uh, we got our first King, Darren Fox, ninth best point guard uh, in the world by your list here. And interestingly, uh, although I agree, I, it's interesting that he's ahead of, uh, a group of guys that are similar in his age, uh, D'Angelo Russell right behind him, who is an all-star, but had the luxury of playing in the East. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, just because you're an all-star, you're better. And, and perhaps I think it's personally, I feel that Fox has a better chance of making an all-star team than Russell now that D'Angelo is in the West. And you've got him uh, significantly ahead of guys like Trey Young, and shy Gilgis Alexander down at 16 and 17, the rookie John Morant at 18. Um, what are your thoughts here and, and why the separation or can you speak on the, the distance here between guys like Fox and Russell, especially especially with Fox and Trey Young who are generally I think spoken of as on a similar level, but Fox at nine here and Trey at 16.
0: Yeah, so I could just throw out a couple really small numbers for each one. You know, I think there's been a lot of focus lately on the fact that uh, D'Angelo Russell has a really, really bad free throw rate. It's 0.135, and, for example, Fox is 0.378. So, although he does have a better assist rate than uh, Fox, I think also the role is going to be interesting to see. I mean, he's going to be probably off ball and the lead – lead backup when Curry's not on the floor. It's really, it's going to be a really interesting sort of situation and see, to see how that plays out. Um, Clearly he, um, you know, he shoots the three much more than Fox. Uh, And, but frankly, this one's probably, I mostly just went with feel like I just, I I just, I'm not really, you know, really sure, uh, you know, where D'Angelo's career is going to go, you know, whereas Fox He is the alpha dog. Um, The Kings are never going to want to get rid of him, probably. And we've had two teams that have uh, gone a different direction at point guard already, even though D'Angelo is already only one year older. And then with, um, with Trey, Trey is one of the only, I think he is one of only two point guards I have in the top 30 who had, at least what I measured, as a poor defensive rating. So I think he, I mean, he might have a great year and might put up even better numbers than Fox. Um, I think in a head to head matchup, Fox is going to be a much more productive player. And, and frankly, though he has gravity, he's still shooting at a below average three point percentage. Now, with Shea, I'm not really sure what he's going to entirely do. At the moment, that team has both Chris Paul and, um, yeah, gosh, what's his name right? <laughs> Oh, Dennis Schroeder. They they're both on the team, and you know, does that mean he's going to be playing off ball? Um, he's he's a very versatile player, but he does have a below average assist to turnover rate. And then with Ja uh, we just haven't seen it yet. Uh, we haven't seen him against consistently, uh, NBA quality defenders. His there are some concerns about his shot. Does he you know does he have too much of a hitch? Um, although I do really like him, I think he's going to be really exciting. And I think obviously there's a A mix of Fox and Rondo in his game. So, um, and he, uh, you know, he is the only rookie I have among uh, at least what I guess to be uh, starter quality value.
1: Then, touching quickly on a couple guys uh, even further down the list, uh, I want to jump over to the section you have for backups because we will be discussing uh, Corey Joseph a little bit here. But uh, notable to me, Lonzo Ball at 24th, not going to argue with it or anything, but just <laughs> I, I think with the the rivalry there between Darren and Lonzo, worth noting where he ended up for you. And then um, a guy who I am just not familiar with and is not in the league, uh, tell me a little bit about Sergio. Uh, you'll have to provide the pronunciation, for, especially with the double L's. Uh, yeah, a Spanish name, Sergio Yule, I think. Yule. Uh, uh, you know, I probably couldn't go to
0: to uh to in depth on him. You know, he's one of the best shot makers in Europe. Um, he had a little bit down, I think, of a down year as a shooter. Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I couldn't really tell tell you it was a little bit of a legacy. Um, in my stats, uh, I'm looking at it now that it, it, he he does have an, a a negative uh or not a negative uh a below average assist to turnover ratio, but I think that's actually just more of a reflection of it's a lot harder to get assists in the euro league. Uh there's a little bit more continuation sort of allowed in the nba than them. Uh but you know for him it was mostly just a kind of a legacy vote. Uh I don't you know I don't know if he's ever going to come over for Houston who owns the rights. Um but uh he's definitely an exciting player um that we you know we'll just there'll probably be more stories of him um than the actual reality for us. So Sorry about that one, but that was yeah, that was a just kind of a just kind of. I just wanted to throw him in there.
1: Yeah, no, I like it, especially with um, you know all the the FIBA World Cup stuff that's going on right now. I think that talking about international players is as exciting as ever. Um, I'm looking it up right now. I'm not seeing it as quickly as uh, he's 31. Is that correct? Is that, yeah, he's least, yeah, yeah, he's 31. Plays
0: for Real Madrid. So he was, uh, I think, a Luka teammate for, for a little bit there.
1: Uh, gotcha. So not likely to show up in the context of, uh, you know, for Kings fans. But at the same time, a lot of Kings fans uh, love international basketball. So yeah. I think that's it's a, a very worthy shout out there and one I'm, I'm interested in. But uh, he's down at 29th and then uh, at 31st, which is conveniently uh, – Number one among uh, backups, and it it works perfectly for the Kings, is Corey Joseph, who is the backup ball handler and uh, bench point guard for the Kings. Um, I am just interested to see him here. It feels about right to me uh, and over some guys that will be starting this season in the NBA, including the newly paid Terry Rozier. Uh, Some quick thoughts on Joseph here. So I'll, I'll frankly start with a negative. I was just
0: sort of surprised that he wasn't that great of a shooter. Um, but outside of that, he's a very good defender. Um, his defensive rating was 107, which is above average for a, for a point guard. Um, and he doesn't have negative numbers on that assist percentage or block percentage, which are 2.2 and 0.09. And then he clearly takes care of the ball because his assist-to-turnover ratio is 3.9. And then, you know, it's not something that you can measure, but he played essentially in a two-point guard offense in Indiana last season, and they exceeded expectations in the East. So I think, you know, I think probably the practical application is, you know, bogey might be really the backup ball handler, and Joseph is just a bulldog. You know, you, you can really limit how much defensive energy you need to exert out of Fox, and you send Joseph out there. And I think, frankly, that's really the great way to pair your two point guards. Like you really want to kind of offset the weakness of the starter with, with the backup or, you know, or you want a similar player so you don't have too much difference of an offense, but that's why I liked him. I I just thought that was really, was really a strong thing. And and frankly, why the player above him, DeLon Wright at 30, why, you know, DeLon Wright was one of the very few players I had that is not a great shooter, um, in the starters, but you know clearly he's a rangy point guard as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that that was you know that is one of the red flags. But you know shooting, but the Kings have a bunch of great shooters, so I think I think they can get around that with uh, Joseph.
1: So moving to shooting guard now, uh, number one is super obvious. It's James Harden. There's no conversation to be had there, really. Uh, but I'll run down the next few guys because we have a king coming up fast on this list as well. Bradley Beal at two Donovan Mitchell at three CJ McCollum at four Jamal Murray at five Lou Williams at six and buddy healed at seven. Now, interestingly here uh, <laughs> and echoing a sentiment of many writers over at Sacktown royalty i think partially as as a joke I, I don't i don't know how jokey it is um perhaps it's you know all jokes are based in some truth but uh one spot ahead of devin booker is buddy healed on your list so let's talk about this uh why is buddy healed better than devin booker three point percentage i mean
0: we know that he's one of the actually weirdly enough maybe don't, people don't know i mean he's already one of the best shooters in history and it, it's 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 absolutely insane. Like it's just crazy. On nearly eight shot attempts, he shot forty two point seven last year. Um. So yeah, the the next three players below him all are core three point shooters. And I think that's I just weigh the shooting so high. I mean, clearly, if you switch their roles, I I don't really know what Buddy would do in Phoenix, and I don't really know what Booker would do in Sacramento. Um. But I think if you were just I mean, that's what I like about him. It's just, frankly, you know what he's going to give you. Um, he's a good rebounder. Um, I'm just not really sure, uh, you know, what Booker's going to do on a, on a, can he, can he, what can he do on a winning team? And the Kings are maybe not yet a winning team, uh, but maybe they are. So, I, it's hard, it's hard to really argue in much, much deeper than that, uh, but what's also surprising and a reflection of that Suns team, uh, out of the thirty players I have as starters, he had the lowest defensive rating. And yeah, yeah, I, I get the whole argument. What are you going to do when the teammates around you are not great? Are you going to really exert that energy? Um, I don't know if D- Booker has yet. So, yeah. I Yeah, I don't think he's going to take my blog posts as uh, any motivation or anybody's writing, but uh, I think, I think we just, you you need to see more out of him, frankly. And it's, it's not about the numbers.
1: He's a deeply flawed player. That's the thing about Booker where, and it's kind of, I think it, it played into your point guard rankings as well, where you were looking at weaknesses as they matter you know um uh, so a guy like russell west Russ, russell westbrook it matters that he shot 31 percent from three uh and a guy like devin booker it matters that he shot 32 percent from three which is crazy to think about because we think of him as such a great scorer at least you know i mean he does he does score he scores a ton of points uh but really on volume one of the least efficient shooters out there Uh, particularly particularly last year and yeah i i i like this take i like putting healed above booker i think it's i i think it's a great take to have because it's it is spicy and it makes people stop and think you know how is it possible that uh buddy healed is better than this guy who's so obviously you know basically the entire offense of an nba franchise and a guy that's put up 50 plus points. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I I think that it's a really fun argument to make in it. it, They're just very different players. They have such different strengths and weaknesses. Um, Yeah. yeah, I I would
0: just, it's just a reminder that, you know, I'm really trying to operate on. If you wanted to win a championship next year, do you want a guy that can do a lot of things, but you're not really sure if you can do, um, you know, at a championship level at a high percentage, or do you want to know, do you want to have a guy, you know what you're going to get? And I think it's very clear you know what you're going to get out of Buddy.
1: Right, and in this hypothetical exercise, it's it's still tough to do because you need to know what other players are on your team to make this decision, probably, between Hilton and Booker. Uh, but yeah, I, I I have, I don't know, I, for some reason I like to make fun of Don Booker. I don't do it much on, on Twitter, anywhere public, because... Uh, I try I've been trying to be a little bit more wholesome in general especially in social media. You know, I don't think it adds anything to anyone's life to criticize or make fun of a player. It might be some twisted version of fun for me, but I did cook up a tweet the other day. I I drafted up a tweet about how Devin Booker is a unanimous MVP as voted by Twitter users that retweet follow trains and then I deleted it. Uh, But (laughs) he's just that type of guy where like he has these weird stands out there. Uh, But moving on from him, and I kind of want to ask the reverse question too, because I think these are two very different players. Uh, I asked you why is healed above Devin Booker? Why is healed below Lou Williams? I'm trying to
0: win that game this year. Lou Williams I mean, that guy is just, he's just a killer. Like I thought, it, you know, yeah, I look at him, he's 32 and there are some limitations there, but that's really, you know, that's, that's really what I'm going for. And I do think that, you know, this year the, that Clippers team is going to be stacked and they're, they're going to have great players starting. And then the backup units for every other team, we're going to have to face Lou William and Trez Harrell. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be rough. Um, so yeah, that that that's it. And yes, uh, there are some elements of he's still he's not as good of a shooter as uh, as healed. But um, I don't know, maybe maybe a couple months into the season, um, and I will already change my mind and, and and vault buddy up some more.
1: Who knows? Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast and if you want to follow us on Twitter we'd love to interact with you we can take your questions answer them on the podcast as well that is at kings underscore pulse we also got an Instagram kings underscore pulse and we are the official podcast of uh, reddit r slash kings we got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions so we really appreciate it and, and thank you very much for listening Are you currently paying off student
0: debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories
1: covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakhani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. It's a strong argument, and I will I will uh, agree with it. And uh, I think something interesting about shooting guard and going further down the here to find Bogdan, Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, this position feels a little bit light on superstars and a little bit heavier towards depth and towards pieces where, you know, as we discussed, you kind of want to know what else is going on on the team. But you got Harden, obvious superstar. Then Beal and Mitchell, you can you can you can see working in that way. Although Mitchell is supported by so much of what goes on in that system of Utah, and Beal is not supported by a system, and therefore, you know, their team <laughs> isn't going to win anything. Uh, but after that, even with McCollum. You know, it just at four, it starts to really drop off to, to guys that don't feel like they could carry a team or be the number one option, and and, and going on to Bogdan, it is it, it just feel it starts to get deep. It starts to get pretty deep. Uh, the guys above Bogdan, you have him at twenty fourth. Uh, you have Terrence Ross just above him. You have Jeremy Lamb uh, just above that. You've got guys like J.J. Redick, Joe Harris, guys that. You know, are kind of a a buddy light um, type of player that you can just plug, and you know, you know he's going to knock down those threes for you. You know that they're going to be moving off the ball well. Uh, Landry Schmidt, you have slightly above Bogdan. So why, why exactly? uh, I kind of want to pick you up on Terrence Ross, and I know he had a nice shooting year last year, but and and I I feel like to have these discussions with you, I've got to get a little bit pedantic, but. Uh, why? Why is Terrence Ross better than Bogdan Bogdanovic? Yeah, I think it, when you read the post, I already feel bad that I ranked Mr.
0: Automatic too low. Um, yeah, you know, and to take the step back, there there does feel like tiers. Um, starting with Josh Richardson, and there's kind of a defensive tier, and there's a clear knockdown three-point shooter tier, and then in some ways, it's at, at number 21. It's just kind of like the rest, and there was guys if. if I just asked you, or if you just asked me, do you think so-and-so is a starter? I probably would have said no. Uh, in, in building this, I think with Ross, I kind of just went with there was a, there was a bigger track record. Uh, he shot more threes than, than Bogey at a better rate. He's a better uh, three-point shooter. His troop shooting percentage was better. Um, and he was actually, it might be a reflection of Orlando's scheme, but he was actually a good defender. Which surprised me when I looked at it. Um, flip side is Bogey is uh, a better passer, and so especially for shooting guard. Bogey also really, you know, as I go through it again, um, he didn't rank um, negative in any category, but he also only really ranked above ours uh, as a creator for, for shooting guards. So, you know, that's why I, I ranked him low, but I think. You know, I think this year, um, I think he's probably going to be really productive, especially after the summer, and probably actually provide, um, I don't know, the top twenty value. Which, you know, now as I, you know, as I keep looking at it, talking it through, that's maybe how what's going to happen. You know, it's it's just it was just hard to peg because um, he had generally an overall poor shooting year last year.
1: He absolutely did, but he is having an incredible tournament right now. I believe his true shooting is up around 80%, which is mind-boggling. Uh, perhaps the MVP of the tournament right now. And if Serbia does win, uh, I think that he will win that award. Um, but, you know, that's going to be my bold take here. I don't have a lot of disagreements with you, uh, and I can't even fault you here for Bogdanovich, but... My my prediction is that by the end of the season, his shooting numbers will increase, uh, will will get better. Uh, he you know maybe back towards his rookie year. I believe he was very close to forty percent from three as a rookie. And if he does, he can jump into your uh, shooter tier, I guess you'd call it, with Joe Harris, J.J. Redick, Malik Beasley, Landon Shamet, or at least twenty-one above Nick Batum. I'll say that as a prediction. He'll, he'll, that's
0: a pretty good prediction, uh, and for Kings fans. So, you know, he, you know, I was saying he didn't shoot at great percentages, but he still averaged fourteen points, right? So, if he if he makes those improvements, I mean, we're we're talking about a guy that would be a six man of the year candidate, and you, you add two or three points, and someone that's averaging seventeen to nineteen off the bench, or even just sixteen to nineteen, that's a that's a that's a definitely a uh, Six man of the year.
1: There were times where I felt like he was in the conversation last year, even, uh, and you know he hit a pretty rough slump in the second half of the year, which sort of dashed those hopes. And then there was guys like Lou Will and Montrez who just, just like made it impossible to see anyone else, any non-Clipper, win the award. Uh, but moving on to small forward here. You know, this is gonna. This is the one that I haven't had a chance to really dive into these numbers as so much as I've wanted to. This is the one that I feel like I'm gonna learn the most from. I just I'm interested to know if there even are thirty players that are are good and small forwards because I've I've had this discussion with so many people and I hear it all the time. Everyone, I really I'm being hyperbolic, but I feel like everyone tells me Harrison Barnes is a four. And it makes me so angry because I don't think that those people could name 30 small forwards because the requirements to be a small forward now are so complex and so rare because basically you're expected to be able to guard Kawhi Leonard and like five guys can do that. So you don't need to be a small forward. You don't need to guard Kawhi Leonard to be a small forward. Uh, So let's dip right in here. Kawhi's on top, completely agree there. You got LeBron number two, Paul George number three, uh, definitely a superstar tier here, uh, and then Jimmy Butler four, Luca five. You can even extend, potentially extend the superstar tier down to that range. And then it gets a little bit interesting. Uh, you got Danilo Gallinari six, which surprised me a little bit because I think he's been so injured and so unavailable. Uh, For quite a bit of his career that I think that he doesn't get the credit deserved, but he had an unbelievable season last year. Uh, Now he's going to be in OKC. So kind of like no one's thinking about him. I feel like there's no real, he's not, he's, he's been cast aside uh, with Porsche, uh, Gilgis Alexander, but interesting still that he's above Chris Middleton, Tobias Harris, which I feel like are, you know, two guys just got a supermax that are on people's minds. Um, So that's a solid eight there. That's a solid eight guys that I feel like are very strong, very strong options at small forward. I'm going to keep going here until we get to Harrison Barnes and we can kind of talk about, we can kind of uh, reverse analyze all this. Um, Let's just keep running through this. Uh, Otto Porter. Oh, excuse me. I missed that one. Bojan Bojan Bogdanovich at nine. Otto Porter at 10, Jason Tatum at 11, then we got our King Harrison Barnes. So, I think I made it clear that I get the first eight, and I also think Bogdanovich there makes sense as well, although he is not quite as flashy or exciting and is a little bit older than most of the guys we mentioned, but Otto Porter and Jason Tatum I want to talk about here. In particular, Otto Otto Porter, considering that the Kings, it felt like they could have traded for either one. Uh, Maybe that's not true, but Otto Porter obviously was on the trade block. He did get traded at the deadline last year, so did Harrison Barnes. Barnes went to the Kings, Porter did not. What were your main differentiating marks here between Porter and Barnes?
0: Probably steal percentage and block percentage. I mean, Otto Porter is... You know, he's at least a positional average player. Of both he's got a track record of it being a, a really good shooter over years. Um, you know, one year younger. Um, uh, generally, uh, you know, he's just a tick better as a shooter than Barnes. I, I feel like if you looked at some sort of synergy data or whatever, you could probably say maybe he's a stiffer defender. He's not as maybe flexible as Barnes, and no one's probably really. Describe Barnes even as, as a super flexible player either. Um, but it was really the shooting. Um, although, um, as, as you, I'm sure we'll get to that shooting from Barnes, which was 39.5, which I, you know, somehow didn't pay attention to when I read your piece or read anybody else's pieces about Barnes was what gave me the difference to really rank him above Jalen Brown and Robert Covington. So, which aren't, which they're not below average. Three point shooters, but again, you probably can see a trend in how I look at a lot of these perimeter players. It's really like it's really about shooting, and and, and really at least being a positional average player in a variety of uh, categories.
1: Absolutely, I think that I would agree on pretty much all these guys. Tatum is just a tough one because so much of his value is in his youth. That you know, if you're playing. In a championship game today, you have Tatum above Barnes, and I think that makes sense, but it's like, you know, it's really depends on, it's dependent on the team you have around them. But if you're talking even towards like a month from now, even towards the middle of the season, it's clear that Tatum is easily above Barnes, but his partner there in Boston, uh, on the wing, Jalen Brown, I think there's an interesting debate to be had here. Brown has not been an efficient guy from the outside, but he is much younger much more explosive. Uh, how did you end up with Barnes one spot ahead of Jalen Brown? It's just that shooting. I mean, Brown, I think, has more upside.
0: I think they're definitely compared to each other, really, as uh, as, as somewhat similar players, guys that are smart. You know, they, they rebound well. Um, they don't have great stock numbers, even though, you know, they're considered above-average defenders. Um, that might be more of a reflection of maybe that they're they have the good tactician skills they they try to limit mistakes which also sort of limits their their defensive um event numbers you know i think so clearly yeah at the end of the year um brown could be a better player um one thing that did stand out to me was that brown's offensive rating was at least a positionally average 104 so even though he was a above average 109 on the defensive side that that the offense it wasn't really great now clearly the defensive and offensive ratings are also a reflection of the team and boston had some issues with a with a point guard in another city now so maybe you know kemba will really help help him more you know set, set, set him up better because he, he certainly certainly lacks some dribble skills as well and, and, and although You know, on the break, he can he can slam it and whatnot. But that's that's kind of where I was. Um, But you know, in getting back to your other point, if you wanted wanted to win a game tomorrow, I I could listen to an argument that Joe Ingles might be the eleventh best option, and that feels insane. But you know,
1: no, I I like that. I was gonna say Ingles. I think I'd have higher Covington. I would definitely have higher personally because I value defense so much from that three position that I I would probably have Covington in my top 10 as long as he's healthy which is a real thing um but you know all that said you know the main point that I'm pulling away from this is that Barnes is an average starting small forward which is valuable do you agree yeah, yeah, he's he might be
0: uh the fourth best king starter, but in terms of where he ranks compared to the other players, he's, you know, maybe that's the third or second best value. Um yeah, I don't I don't think you want to scare people by reading the the rest of the small forwards, though there are prospects within. Um when you just see those names listed, you you sort of understand that oh, this is not a bad sign. This is not a good uh, not a bad guy to have on your team.
1: Absolutely not, and I think that, as you mentioned, there's a massive drop-off around the 18th, 19th rank here at small forward, and and this is, this is what people worry about with small forwards, and it, it gets even worse when you start disqualifying guys because I, I can tell you there's a ton of people that would look at this list and because of their odd definition of small forward, they'd be like, hey, LeBron's not a small forward. Luke is not really a small forward. DeMillo a four. Bojan's a four. Uh, you know, you could say uh, Jalen's a two, people will tell you. Uh, people will say Ingles is a four. Warren's a four. And, and you get down to this list of like, okay, well, we just don't have any small forwards. But the point is that there's really about 20 guys that are uh, going to give you positive play at the small forward position. And that's what leads people to think that there's even fewer. They think it's so scarce that there's, you know, really... Maybe five guys, and and it's true that having one of those five guys is very important. But really, you have got to have one of these twenty guys if you want to compete. I think, and uh, it because it gets grim, like you said, it, it gets really grim. I mean, you're getting to guys that, you know, uh, I mean, you've got Tony Snell on this list, Juan Hernan Gomez. These guys are in the top thirty of small forwards, and I think that that's the important part is that you've got to have a, a decent option at least. Uh, a guy that can hold his own. But there is another Kings here, another Kings player here in the top 30 uh, at small forward. And I completely agree. And if anything, I think he could be a a few slots too low while he's still got something in the tank. Trevor Ariza. I mean, he's a starting caliber small forward, right? Yeah. And I also, I realized we probably didn't
0: mention this, um, that I did do an exclusion of about 15 players who are, long-term injured so anyone that's been listening and mad that we didn't mention kevin durant just sort of like know that kevin durant is clearly a top four at worst small forward um but getting into Ariza, probably the biggest king's insight that shocked me was that he played 34 minutes a game at age 33 just absolutely insane now i don't i think it's very clear or at least i would hope so that he is not going to play anywhere near that amount of time. And so if he plays less and he, you know, sort of takes uh takes better shots, he's gonna give them really good value. I mean he he still averaged more than five rebounds and almost four assists. His stock numbers were 1.6, which you know just not too bad at all. You know, his turnover percentage or his assist to turnover average was very pretty darn good for a small four, 2.4. Um, you know, so I think it's just, it's just about usage. It's just about throwing them out there. Um, I think there's, it's a little, it's somewhat a little scary about what the Kings backup wings options are. I mean, they're both really incredible with Bogey and and Ariza. Uh, if one of them goes down then you know, maybe we see too much time from either of them. I don't, I don't think, um, Mr. James or, uh, Isaiah is gonna, gonna come up from Stockton and play too many minutes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm excited about what he could do and, and just basically teaching tricks of the trade. I mean, he, he is also a guy that I, I really considered for this kind of decent designated veteran category. Um, but when I looked at the minutes he played, you know, he played more, more than 2300 minutes. Um, it sort of felt like I got to include him as, as a starter, uh, especially, you know, compared to the, the other options. I, I do have a couple of guys that average less than six points, but, you know, I think they're at least fair players. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing to, I want to just emphasize that again, that even if he's a top 30 small forward, doesn't make him a, it's not a good thing to have him as your small forward. He doesn't meet that sort of like top 18, top 19 level to where you feel good about that position necessarily, but to have him off the bench, it's a very good thing, and a team like Portland, who we talked about briefly before starting to record, really could use Trevor Ariza at the three, honestly. it would Especially on a team that is star-heavy, uh, but thin, Like he could really help a team out. I, I'm sure that James Harden is missing him in Houston as well, but let's hop over to power forward, Giannis at the top, of course, No arguments there. Uh, And then, I mean, that's the end of a tier because, I mean, Giannis is in in a tier of his own. Maybe that's like a double tier. Uh, Then you get down to to Blake, Draymond, Paul Millsap, LaMarcus Aldridge, Pascal Siakam, who could be moving up this list if he continues to show uh, that he's able to fulfill his potential. Kevin Love, if he stays healthy, you've got him at seven here. Kristaps, also a health concern. And then you've got uh, a really interesting group of guys, really fascinating group of guys. I don't know how you even, you know, you could just put tie ninth, tenth, you know, these next five guys, you just put a tie here. Right? Yeah. 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 Tell us about these guys here.
0: Yeah. So, like you said, the, the tiers kind of stand out. And that's, you know, I said earlier in putting together a list that you really gave me a little bit more respect for like Paul Millsap and Aldridge and, and love. And, and those are three guys that are aging. Those guys, you know, might not be top 10 power forwards the season that follows. Um, but yes, we have Chris Stapps, Collins, Bagley, Jackson, Zion, Markinen, Aaron Gordon, and Randall. And that kind of ends that tier much lower. I have at least in the top 30, I have Jonathan Isaac. He has a chance to maybe be better than one of those young guys. I mentioned, it was really hard, I think. I think conventional wisdom out there is um that Jaron Jackson is probably better than Bagley. I'm not sure. I think he has some tools that might be better within some offenses, but it does it all in some ways it feels like less is expected of him to that franchise than Bagley. Um John Collins, I sort of gave him the benefit of the doubt for having a better year last year than the uh, those two two rookies. Zion, you know, he was just kind of a yeah, for sure. Let's just throw him out there. Throw him that high. He's the highest rookie I have of any position at number twelve. And Markinen, very special player, I think. Uh, young Dirk in some ways, just a shot you can't block. I think that is very special to have at the four. And then I you know, I don't I don't think we can write off the fact that Gordon and Randall will actually improve. Um, especially since Randall might even be the featured player for the Knicks among their four power forwards that they have now. It's a really absurd offense, but, you know, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's I think I think people say the power forward position is dead. But I don't know how you can say that when you have these, you know, six or seven players um, that will be maybe all stars for multiple years over the next decade.
1: Yeah, the power forward position is as alive as ever because every small forward's a power forward now. So uh I, I don't know about any of that. I, I get what you're saying though. You need these guys to really be able to either defend centers or defend small forwards. And that's not because the position doesn't exist, it's because uh, you know, defensive schemes are so reliant on switching now. Uh and some guys can do this, some guys can't. And This is a really I just love this group of guys because John Collins, Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson, Jr., Zion Williamson, Laurie Markinen. And I hadn't even included Aaron Gordon and Joyce Randall in this because I do see a a slight separation just because those guys have a a little bit more experience. So we kind of they're more known quantities than the guys before them. But if you include them, too, I mean, it's just the future of the position is going to be determined by this group of guys. And it's going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, And at the same time, like the guy after that who you have at 16th, you can make a real argument if you've got one game to win. I want Thaddeus Young over Zion Williamson right now. And it sounds crazy, but let's get Zion a couple of games like against NBA level uh, competition. And Thad Young, yeah, he's not going to he's not going to like break the rim off the (laughs) the damn basket. But like I, I, you know, he's going to play great defense and he's going to, you know, if Pop is picking a team. You know he's taking Thaddeon ahead of Zion uh, to win one game. So uh, there's a lot of interesting debate to be had there. But let's move on to the other king a little bit further down this list, but also squarely in starter territory for you. Nemanja Bielica at 21, just below Alfreak Aminu and Jay Crowder, just above Rudy Gay and Marcus Morris. This is a big mishmash of veterans here. And I don't know how much I have to say about it just because it's it's really hard to sort out these guys that they're kind of you're just in role player territory here. Right. Sure.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a bunch of role players and, and some players that clearly on the decline, um, some players that you're just not really sure what what they're going to be. You know, Gordon Hayward, I have. You know, at 28, I think that could be too low, but, you know, by the end of the year, maybe he's healthy. Maybe this is just what he is, kind of a playmaking, uh, power forward. Saric, I thought had a better year, but as I dug into things, I was, I was surprised and, you know, players don't really succeed in Phoenix. Um, so that's a little scary. Um, but I think you know what you get out of Amania. I think it's still a you know, floor spacing. I think that's the kind of stuff I like. But, I, you know, I'm not, you know, maybe, you know, frankly, Nikola Amorodic should be, uh, you know, above him. But, you know, he left to go overseas. And, and I think maybe the promise of him was never really realized either as an NBA player. So I think that's a little little concerning little thing that was in the back of my head as well
1: right and this is just i don't envy your job here making this list because i mean to to differentiate between you know Marvin williams and jay crowder it's a seven position a seven spot gap but it's really right it's like i mean it's it's dependent on what you have what you want already on your team and then right like guys like there's just there's predictive uh there's predictions happening here even if we're trying to not predict even if you're trying to say today you're still building in we haven't seen these guys play for several months you know almost half a half a year for some of these guys depending on injury status so it's just impossible to tell is the 21 year old Jonathan Isaac has he has he taken a step forward where he's clearly better than Nemanja Bielitsa? I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Um, but yeah, I also notice you have Harry Giles here as a power forward. First of all, I commend you on that because I think that he is a power forward and not a center. He is down at 34, and I'll ask you about him. But I also feel like he might have been the hardest guy to rank on the whole damn list because you know health and everything. You just don't know where he's at, right?
0: Yeah, I think when you start looking at players I have ranked 30 to 40. Uh, in some ways, that's kind of a bunch of guys that are going to take spots from some the 30 year olds, you know, that are ranked in the top 30. Even even Davis Bertans might have like a career year because Washington just really lacks talent. And so, if he gets shots up and can maintain his percentages, that might look like a you know a rich man's pneumonia. I don't know. But, uh, Collins is there, Giles, Clark, Washington, Achimura. Those are all guys that will probably be starters if all their hopes are realized. But yes, yes, Harry was definitely a hard player to, uh, to kind of position. And in, there's probably, it's just home, it's probably a little bit of Homerism. I, I, I want him to succeed. You know, his true shooting percentage was below average. Um, his offensive rating was below average. Uh, but, you know, his creation ability was really nice for a power four, and that, you don't need stats, I don't need to tell you you know, that he had a 15.2% assist percentage, you just know by seeing it and so, it's it's really just me projecting you know, I, I, I don't know for sure you know, if, if, if tomorrow you needed to pick Brandon Clark or Harry Giles, I, I really don't know who you should pick, it's
1: just, it was just a little, it was feel Right, I guess when we get you know, too far down this list, it's almost unfair for me to ask you why this guy is above that guy because it just the diminishing returns. Like it gets such tiny increments between these guys that there's no point in me asking why Bobby Portis is above Christian Wood. Uh, for, yeah, it's, yeah. it definitely is
0: really just helpful for you to be able to kind of see something like that, uh, just to like, oh, okay, these these are the other options. So if, if you want to knock a team, for example, for Signing, uh, you know, Wilson Chandler. Uh, well, look who look who's around him in kind of a one man's projection, and then you might get a you might not think it's as bad of a signing.
1: Right, I, absolutely, it all makes sense to me. Uh, let's move to center here. Anthony Davis, number one, no arguments from me. Jokic, number two. Gobert, three. Embiid, four. Towns, five. In a weird way, I'll say that center feels like the least important position nowadays uh, with the high level of, of replacement players that you can basically get a guy for 2 million bucks to walk in off the street essentially and play functional rep- replacement level uh, center at times. Uh, but it also feels like the most star studded position. I mean, that top five that's stacked, right? Yeah.
0: I, I mean, I think I, w- I wrote a sentence to say that, um, You know, we think back in the 90s as as the great time. And there were probably more Hall of Famers. And I don't know how many of these guys will be Hall of Famers. um, But I think there's probably just better average production across the board. Um, You know, more – it's going to be more fit. You know, do you want that uh, kind of perimeter defensive um, center and like a Kayvon Looney? Do you want just a – just a crazy ball handling, uh, rebounding Bam Adebayo. You know, there's just kind of a lot of options, but yeah, it's it does it does feel like a diminished position. I will say that um, you know I do sort of like track some of these like lower levels just to, just to see what kind of free agents are out there. And while people do seem to throw out that you can sign any center for the minimum, the guys that are unsigned, it's it's a rough crew. I mean. There really aren't a whole lot of options once you get past, uh, I don't know, let's say maybe the 75th best center in the world. So I think that's, that's another thing that I've kind of learned as I just track this, they track these things.
1: That's interesting. I, I have to wonder if at that point we just don't know these guys because, you know, at that point we just haven't seen some of these guys. We haven't, uh. You know, had a chance yet. These guys are probably still coming up. Like they'll make that leap in the next, you know, the first half of the college season. We'll know, hey, you know what? This guy could probably play, you know, six minutes of rotation defense uh, and be okay. Uh, and I think that that's another point about positions worth noting is just that if you got a small forward on the court who is the 70th or 75th best small forward in the world, he's getting cooked and your team is, is in real serious trouble, but you know, you could probably put you Haslam or a little more gasol on the court for six minutes and be totally fine. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that, that play that's in play. And I mean, also there's just only so many men on the planet that are that tall. So sometimes it's, uh, there are guys that might've been might've been centers, you know, in the seventies, even a guy like Kenneth Fareed, he had, just a you know just a bench minutes eater for, for the Rockets. He was actually pretty productive, and uh, you know really kind of cooked Willie last season as well. And, and he's on sign. So you know it's it, it, so for them. you know for for us as fans, it's just trying to figure out was well, that a player that would you know even fit on your team. They might be productive one in one place, but maybe not for your team.
1: Right. And the really thing brings up a question of, you know, it for me. And I know that everyone hates when I talk about this because I get so much uh, flack for it on Twitter. But it brings up the real question of um, something that's kind of unaccountable, which is the effort and the consistency, because you have also got a guy like um, DeAndre Jordan here at 18th, which feels, frankly, really high to me because, yes, like all the skills are there, all the talent is there. But are they going to give it on the floor every night? Uh, I think that there was we saw that that was an issue for DeAndre in Dallas. Who knows what's going to happen in Brooklyn with him? It's hard to tell, but I'll use that to segue into Dwayne Dedman, who you have one spot above DeAndre Jordan. You have him at 17th, and I'll just run down that quick list of names. Uh, Above him, we went through the first five. Then you got Horford, Vucevic, Drummond, Capella, Turner, Favors, Sabonis, Adams, Brooke Lopez, Jarrett Allen, and Marcus Saul, uh, and back to our boy Dwayne Dedman. Thoughts on him?
0: The shooting. I mean, it's just, yeah, we talk a lot about, we've been talking about positions and, and who, what players play, but in some ways, it's really just what do you get out of a combination of, of players that play next to each other? So what are you getting from your, your power forward and your center? And Do they, does one player give 80% of traditionally power forward skill and, you know, 20% of center? And I think when you add those two players uh, together, Bagley and Deadman, I think they're really going to help offset each other's skills and weaknesses. Um, I don't think I have to tell any of the guys at Sacktown Royalty about Deadman. They, they could probably tell me everything I need to know. But, uh, I mean, the fans have been knowing that this is a guy that's, it's definitely worth targeting. Um, I just, I, yeah, I think I think he's just going to be um, not not many highlights like Willie offered, but maybe a lot
1: fewer lowlights. Yeah, and you also mentioned something there that's we haven't even talked about, which is the the fit and the chemistry between these guys. It's going to matter. It, it's going to matter. You know, going back, I guess, to the healed uh, Booker debate. It's going to matter who's playing next to them. That's kind of going to be the difference in a lot of these situations or at very least like a tiebreaker among tiers. Um, so let's hop down to Rashawn Holmes, who you've got at 39th. That I would say is solid bench territory. Uh, what are your thoughts on him?
0: I think sort of just most, mostly in summary, when you look just at the, the list of backup bigs, you're like, oh, I would like most of those guys. Those would be mostly pretty good players. I don't want most of them starting. But, you know, if they can score efficiently and and grab a rebound here and there, then I'm going to get good value. You know, Holmes has a very good, you know, shooting percentage. Um, You know, he's an energy guy. There are some, you know, some limitations. He's not a a creator. He's, he's, He's clearly a finisher. I was surprised that his free throw rate wasn't really great, but, you know, I don't think... I don't think that's something that we're looking for um, out of a backup center. You're not really looking for that guy to get you a lot of free throws, so it's not. It's not as a uh, you know uh, though that the weight of that metric is is not super high, but his offensive and defensive rating are both at least average. So you know I think that's a really good just front court combination. You know if he's if he's happy with not. Not hoping he'll get really high minutes, then that's just kind
1: of what you want. You want a guy that really fits that role. So we touched on every Kings player that we projected to be in the rotation in the upcoming season. Uh, I say we there, referring to myself and Brendan and Tim, who were on the show uh, last week. Um, so now that we've done that, let's take some let's let's take some time here to discuss what that's told us about this Kings team. What were your, your biggest takeaways about, you know, looking at these 12 guys? What's standing out to you as a group?
0: Well, I mean, so what stands out is, you know, for sure you have five starters, five guys that give starting value for sure. Now, people could probably quibble with Nemanian, Trevor, Ariza, but if, if, even if you say that they're not starters, I, you, I, don't, I think it's hard to argue that they're not at least – top 10 bench players for, for their role that they would. So, you know, that leaves you at worst six starters because I don't think anyone can argue against bogey. So then even then, you have Corey Joseph. So that's nine guys that are pretty good in the roles that they give. And then we're looking at, you know, what do we get kind of out of Giles and um, Holmes? And even then, we're talking about the 10th and 11th player. And if we're, if we're quibbling about only the 10th and 11th player, then that's that's pretty good. So, you know, one of the things I did is I looked at every roster and I sort of rewrote the depth charts with just how I ranked the players um, in top 10, 20, 30, and, and top 5. And we are looking at the Western contenders, you know, the Nuggets, the Warriors, the Rockets, the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Jazz, they all have, you know, enough starters a lot of top 10 players or a lot of, a lot of starters for overall. And then they have top five players too, you know, so, so they're locked in. I don't, I don't think that six team, you know, block is really going to be taken out except for injury. So that leaves the Kings kind of vying for, you know, maybe one of two playoff spots. And so those two teams, I think they're really competing against are the Blazers and the Spurs. And so, you know, the Kings have what I said, eight starters, and I think they have three top ten players. I don't think they have a top five player. At least the Spurs do in Aldridge, although, uh, you know, maybe that is, maybe that is flexible. Um, and, but, so maybe they are team seven. So I really think it, I really think the debate is, are the Kings, do the Kings have a better roster than the Blazers? Now, the Blazers have, Four starters, one who is injured, we don't know when they're gonna he's gonna return. And but they have two top five players. So how do you weigh that? How do you weigh frankly CJ and Dame versus the depth of the Kings? And now I really think that the Kings are maybe the, the eighth seed. And it but it feels absurd to just think about coming into this little project I've done. But now I'm looking at the, the info, and it, it seems hard to argue against. It, it's really just a kind of maybe a, a question of how we view team building. Um, maybe this is Pistons versus Lakers, right? You know, the, the Pistons were a deep team, and the Lakers just had two guys. And they ended up winning uh, the finals that year. So I, that's, that's kind of the thing, the biggest takeaway for me is, you know, and, and even then, maybe Fox does
1: become a top five player. I mean, I don't know. Right. I agree with those two teams that you singled out as competition for the Kings in Portland and San Antonio. Those are, as of now, my predicted seventh and eighth seed. I still have the Kings ninth, unfortunately. And I think on paper, this is a much better team than the Spurs, quite frankly. But it, you know, it comes down to Greg Popovich, right? I just there's no world in which and I've tried I, I really tried to convince myself that Craig Popovich can can fail to make the playoffs and I can't do it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're probably the best team to compare this King's roster against because, as you mentioned, you do have Aldridge in your top five at his position. However, he's fifth, So, you know, barely in that top five. And I and, and you know, Quite, you know, for myself, I'm probably gonna move. I would probably have Siakam ahead of him. So I would probably, you know, I think, and, and you know, no one's gonna like think that's a crazy take. So it's they don't have a clear cut top five player at any position, I don't think. And you know, that's the same situation with the Kings as of now. Things can change, but they are deep, just like the Kings. It's the difference is the coaching, and I guess. Darren in his own way poses the ability to make that difference if he turns into a top five guy, which can absolutely happen by the end of the year. Uh, it's going to be tough to watch, and then, then the other team who I'm going to I'm going to let the Trailblazers just have a playoff spot in my mind <laughs> because just because I've doubted them every single year for so many years and it made it happen, and and maybe that's the unquantifiable unquantifiable like star power that Lillard has that he just, you know, he has that will. I mean, obviously he has the clutch gene as well. I mean, they were just in the Western conference finals and, and Lillard is an obvious superstar. So I can't, I just can't like make the argument right now, but at the same time, we just went through it. They've got their two guys. They've got their superstar and they've got their, they got their one and they got their two and then they got pretty much nothing else. Um, uh, so we will see how that all shakes out, but they could make moves as well. Uh, I've heard some like general speculation that they could be interested in a Kevin Love. Uh, I threw out there that Trevor Ariza would help them. You know, someone like that could be added to their team and, and really make a serious difference. And like you said, Nurkic as well with the injury. We don't know when he's going to be ready. We don't know how, how similar to his previous self he will be when he is ready, but. But really, all in all, I mean, what this exercise has done for me most is realize that the Kings have competitive, uh, a competitive value at any roster position with any other team on that fringe of the play. Like, this is a NBA league average team, as far as I'm concerned, and that's much better than you could really say about any Kings team previously, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, obviously, I mean, we've said
0: said this at different times, but they were in the East. I mean, how high would you rank them? You know what I mean? That's, that's that's one thing to think about. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know. No, they're definitely not in the top three, but you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're the fifth best team in the East. And when you break down some of the other rosters, Um yeah, I think, you know, at this point, it's just, we have to, have to see what other moves happen i i don't i think it's It just basically the west is just going to be a bloodbath and i don't think you can take games off and clearly as the year goes on you know there will be players that uh, get hurt
1: and you know the, the, the you know the wins will really matter yeah the kings would have made the playoffs last year if they were in the east i think that they would make the playoffs this year if they were in the east Um, I kind of saw them last year as kind of Nets West in a weird way. You can make the, you have actually uh, D'Angelo and Fox right next to each other. Um, Obviously the Nets of this year are nothing like the Nets of last year, but, you know, certainly you'd think that they could edge out teams like Detroit and Orlando. Uh, That's not really, uh, you know, not really, I'm not interested in debating any of that, but, Yeah, I mean, like 15th, 16th, they're the, you know, probably the 15th best team in the league. So, yeah, I I just, I, and I, and the last, the final takeaway, we, we already talked about it, but this has only solidified my belief that the Spurs are the team that the Kings should use as kind of their, their measuring post is to, to, if they, if this team can be better than the Spurs, then they're golden. Yeah. And I mean, the Spurs have, you know, they
0: have, they do have some talented players that, you know, we're not even sure what they'll produce, you know, and Lonnie Walker and Keldon Johnson. Is, is Trey Lyles healthy? Um, is, does their, does their Luca, can he produce anything at all? Um, they did, but they do have kind of a really, really odd, odd roster. Uh, Murray's coming back from injury and, you know, he is an incredible, incredible defender, but, it's also scary to see him shoot. Um, and so integrating him into that offense next to Damar, who also is, is not a great, uh, long range shooter. It's a, it's, it's a weird, it is a definitely a weird roster. They do have a, a player on a two way that I really liked in Kundari Weatherspoon. And, you know, that's a guy that won't really probably get any minutes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a team that, that they, that they need to make sure that they the, win, the, the games against the Spurs are must-win just because of where they will be in the standings.
1: So final question for you here. Uh, because you went so deep, and I, I, I don't even know the total number of players you have on this list. It is astronomical. Uh, everyone that I've heard of and more. Um, so my final question for you here is, if the Kings were to add another player uh, from the free agent pool, who would you like that to be? Uh, because, you know, we've talked on this podcast before that we don't feel like Caleb Swanigan is long for the Kings. Uh, he will probably be moved if possible in a trade. And I, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he were outright cut or if Tyler Leiden, you know, that experiment isn't to work out. It's, there's very little guaranteed money on his deal. I believe just 50,000. So if they were to move on from Leiden, say, uh, and sign someone, who would you want that to be? And would you would you uh, would you like that to happen?
0: Yeah, I mean I think that bottom of the roster, uh, letting Swanigan Leiden go. I mean I, I think even Eric Mika is better than both of those guys. And I don't know if he's worth a roster spot considering the depth of things have at the front court. Um, I think you know the player that I have mentioned uh, a lot is I actually liked what um, Hollis Thompson in summer league it wasn't it wasn't showy but frankly just having another wing just in case something happens to ariza or like you said maybe maybe there's something that happens in the season and another team offers the kings something to have ariza i don't know what they need they just, they have a you know a ton of second round picks in the future uh, more than they even need but, um, you know, yeah, Hollis Thompson was, was frankly my favorite, um, available free agent. Um, you know, probably the overall best free agent that's unsigned, uh, you know, is Schumpert, and I don't think he's coming back. Um, so he, he's a guy, I mean, Brewer, Cephalosha, even Joe Johnson, you know, maybe there's those, you know, that's kind of maybe two categories I'm looking for. A guy that can give you win minutes or just a veteran, that teaches the guys the tricks of the trade.
1: I really like those names. Uh, nice shout outs there to, to Mika. And yeah, I mean the Hollis Thompson love that is a, uh, that's a guy who's not getting enough credit. You know, he didn't, hasn't blown me away necessarily in his uh, California classic his time there. And, and uh, uh, previous as well. But, you know, as you say, just like there's just you you need depth at the wing we talked about if you've got a scrub on the wing like you're just in trouble but uh, i will let you go with that you've done uh, so much work i can't wait to uh plug the the blog post and the data when you do release it please let us know we will retweet the hell out of it but for now want to make sure to plug you as well uh nate is at journalist nate on twitter and anything else you want to uh tell our listeners about no, yeah, the, the, the post will be out
0: uh, pretty soon. Uh, I'll be adding to it through, um, through training camp, maybe just adding some different observations that I see that happen. Uh, but, yeah, you can follow me on Journalist Nate on Twitter. Uh, that's the main place. That's where my blog is, JournalistNate.com. And uh, thanks for having me on.
1: All right, guys, we will talk to you in a couple of days.